it's that important thing of before a building is built, consider the art that's going into it before it's built. That, that is a, a, a sea change in sculpture-architecture relationship. Welcome to Arts In, AI for short. I'm your host, Barbara St. Clair for Creative Pinellas. In this episode, we'll be talking to internationally known collaborative artists, Carol Mickett and Robert Stackhouse. We're going to take an in-depth look at their Gateway Plaza project, where they designed a number of large-scale pieces inspired by the landscape in Richmond, Virginia, and a building was built around their artwork. Let me talk a little bit about our process. I've, I've published lots of poems and things. So, so one thing about writing poetry is poems often have structures. So there's the sonnet, the, the, the bivinel, there's the satina, there's the crown sonnet, and there's structures. And when you have those structures, they then create a site where you can put your lines on and then your words. And this is exactly how we make and approach creating places. So with Gateway Trio, um, we had the site, and that's sort of our form. And then we thought about, well, what, what can we put in that that fits that structure? So that structure to us was downtown Richmond in a new um, signature building that we were involved in from before it was even built. So we looked at the history of the place. We looked at what were the prominent features. What made that, that part of town energized? So we looked at the James River. We looked at the Capitol building. We looked at the history. We looked at the canal. So all of those elements helped to shape what we decided we should build. And then, then there became another structure. So then there was the architecture of this, the sculpture that we actually made, this um, 43 foot long, 16 foot high, 14 foot long, stainless steel, covered with 72 panels of glass, walk-through sculpture that you could sit in. Now that had a certain structure, and then it had repetition, like in a poem, you have repetition of words, you have sounds, the sculpture has that. And then you go to another layer. So then you think about the structure of light and how light reflects and what rhythms they can create. Likewise, we did a 73-foot long, 14-foot um, high mosaic of the James River, the bursting, it's called river song. It bursts and sings. And that was a certain structure, five panels. So there was a rhythm in there is a structure, and then the flow lines that would connect the river to the Capitol building and flow through the building. So this idea of structure for us, um, and then what the structure demands of us, and then creates another structure, I think that, for me, is a really good way of expressing how we approach this. And ultimately, when we start, for me, we have to find the conceptual structure for the whole project. And once that's formed, once we have that structure, everything can start happening. Well, we did that by research. <clears throat> yeah, we, we went to, uh, to, to Richmond. Uh, the the, the um, builder who was building the building called us up and said he wanted us to do this project. He had heard about us. And 
what? Bob Clark. Bob Clark, yeah, Robert Clark, Bob Clark of uh, Clayco. And uh, he, uh, he just called us up out of the uh, cold. Cold called us and said he wanted us to do this. Of course, you know, as artists, you know, you know this is not really going to happen. You know, they, they don't understand the budget or anything like that. But he did. <clears throat> and we went to Richmond and we, we, we took a tour. We took a, you know, we, we uh, toured with high school students through the Capitol building. And, and we found out interesting things like, you know, it's Richmond, Virginia, the capital of the Confederacy, right? That's, that's all you see is you see Monument Boulevard and all the, uh, all the Confederate generals. And then the, the person who, who was the uh, business manager, I think, of the law firm who this building was being built for said, uh, uh, don't do anything about the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> he warned us not to, and 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 he said to uh, go up to the Capitol building and and see what what you see there. And what we saw were eight U.S. presidents, seven of them before the Civil War. So Virginia played a very heavy part in the early phases of uh, colonial America, and uh, a very prominent part. I mean, you know, George Washington, Jefferson, Madison. I mean, you just you know these these giants, and uh, we we saw that. And, and realized that uh, the, the earlier part of Richmond that, that is sort of not seen as much uh, was, was what we wanted to celebrate. We wanted to celebrate the founding of it. So, uh, you know, the, the Whitewater Rapids are right downtown. And, and Richmond did a great job in mid-20th century of making it look like they were not a river city. You know, they, you, you couldn't get to the river. And it, it's this uh, beautiful whitewater river. I mean, people run rapids right downtown. And uh, so, uh, one person told us that he knew people who went to work. Kayak. By, to kayak, by kayak. So, you know, the, Richmond's changed because of Virginia Commonwealth University. It's downtown. It's, it's really a young person's city. Mm. It's not cigarette capital anymore. It's not, you know, so it's really transformed. And it's an outdoor use kind of thing. We saw that connection is very important to us. So you went to Richmond, you learned a lot, you had made some emotional connections, and uh, you had some rules, obviously, certain mm -hmm. space available, and, and maybe there were some goals that uh, were articulated, or, or maybe you had to come up with your own goals for what you wanted to accomplish with the sculpture? Well, we were, after we went to Richmond, um, Bob Clark, the head of Clay Coke, called us to come to Chicago. And in Chicago, which are where he is his headquarters, he also has headquarters in St. Louis, um, we sat around in this big room. The whole wall was the computer strain. And we were there with engineers and landscape architects, money people, Bob Clark, the designers, the, designers, the head of the architecture firm, Chris Cedar Green. And we, we talked about the lobby. We presented our, first we presented the work we had done. We talked about what was possible, what we saw in Richmond, what our IRDs were. And then when we came back again, we- Within two weeks. We gave, um, you know, had paintings of what we wanted to do, a mosaic, and we had a, a sort of a mock-up of what a sculpture could be and the flow and different. And everyone participated and spoke, and and um, and we said, okay, so what do you think? And 
Bob Clark, you know, we had expected them really to pick the mosaic. That's what we had thought. And Bob Clark just said, I want all of it. And it happened to be Robert's birthday. <laughs> and, and I looked at him and I said, okay, we'll do it. And um, so then we, we went and we designed it further. We decided who we wanted to work with for the mosaic, which turned out to be Meyer Munich, which we were extremely pleased with. And then we found a fabricator in um, St. Louis that forum, the Clayco architecture people had recommended. And the sculpture is beautiful. Um, and, and so it was a long process. Um, but that being, being brought on board before the building was actually fully designed, we really ended up creating a story for the building. This idea of the river, the, the capital, sort of geography, government, and flowing through for commerce. And it has a, um, has a story that they've embraced. Um, McGuire Woods, which is the law firm that occupies most of the building, they have a nice art collection, and they have the um, original painting that we did for the mosaic in their boardroom, which has like a 72-foot-long board table in it. It's unbelievable. It had to be built in the space. <laughs> yeah, with this gorgeous view of the river. Um, and and they're just a class act, you know. We're really <laughs> proud of the project. Um, I know uh, Myra Munich is putting it in their next catalog. They've just put a big, used it for their big ad in Public Art uh, Magazine. And um, it's, they said that it was the most gestural mosaic they've ever done. And so it's a project that, you know, we're really proud of. And that is really something well, to let, be like that. Let me, let me just do a backtrack a little bit about, about our design work with, with these architects and engineers and builders is that um, we, we worked on this building before it was built. We went to the groundbreaking. And we had influence in the way the lobby was going to be built. So we had to engineer into the infrastructure of the building. And before the floor was even poured concrete, we had to place a form in the floor that was going to receive this sculpture. So we had an, an involvement with the design of that building. And even to a point where it was it, ideas were flowing. It was a very fluid kind of involvement early on that we, we actually did the landscaping, although landscape architects were the, took, took our basic idea. What we wanted was some of the rocks from the, the river, and we wanted them out in the, the uh, exterior of the building, and those became planters. They got transformed into planters, so that suggestion of the way the flow lines came in from the, the curb into the building and then out again had to do with dynamic flow around the rocks in the river. So the landscape architects took our design suggestions and went further with it. So we had that kind of kind of input in it. As a, and even the 
the parking garage and uh, of this building uh, reflects kind of a fluid facade that that went into to the whole I, I think concept that, that we had. We talked about collaboration earlier and the process of designing this building um, showed us real collaboration. I mean, Bob Clark, he puts the whole team in there and everyone participates. It's a real collaborative effort. At certain points, you know, people have to be in charge and make it work and you have your job to do. But that sense of collaboration and I mean, a lot of businesses now have that. They have open um, areas to, to work in. Architecture firms do that a lot. They work together as a team. Landscape people do. Um, but it was interesting to see the way Bob Clark worked and how open he is about what goes on. Well, it's, it's that important thing of, of before a building is built, consider the art that's going into it before it's built. Wow. I mean that that is a, a, a sea change in in uh, uh, sculpture architecture relationship and and uh, you know maybe it's a product of Chicago. Chicago has a little bit of a history of doing this, mm -hmm. of of the architects in involving the artists into the design of the project. So so you know you don't have that uh, architectural ego. You know I'm I've got three more zeros at the end of my check than you do. You know kind of thing. <laughs> But it was, I mean, that we were there when they poured the concrete for the floor of the lobby and our sculpture was embedded in that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as though we've designed the building, oh yeah, we need some art in here. It was, this was part of the concept of the building. And I, I have to say that Bob Clark, um, the CEO of Clayco, was, you know, visionary in that. So it was part of the idea of the building before the building even started. Absolutely. It was, that was to be a showcase for his, his uh, wanting to do art and architecture. So our listeners are going to be able to see pictures um, of that building, but I just kind of want to clarify. So there's three different elements of the, mm -hmm. of, of the installation. Mm -hmm. There is a, a beautiful sculpture, there is a beautiful mosaic, and then there's these, I hesitate to call them beautiful, although they are, but they're, they're what you call flow lines that uh, evoke the river and connect to the capital, and, and, and something I read sort of suggestive of commerce because they're direct and forward movement. But you went to Clayco and said, Any of, we've got three ideas for you. And each one of those was a separate idea. Mm -hmm. And they said to you, somehow they saw the vision of them all working together, mm -hmm. which you must have had as well. <laughs> it all got put up on the wall, you know, at the same time. They, um, you know, the people working there, Bob Clark, the CEO, Chris Cedar Green, the head architect of Forum, um, and the other people that were working there, they're smart. I mean, we were really impressed. And I think that, you know, that does, isn't a comment about them, it's a comment about me, that, you know, we don't work together enough. We don't collaborate. We stay in our little silos. And I have to say that one of the things I learned when I was doing art radio, because I would have all types of artists on there, poets, novelists, visual artists, performance artists, you know, musicians, 
everyone thought that what they did was by far the best thing, better than any other type of art there was. You know, architects thought they did, engineers. You know, because we, we're too much in our silos and not enough collaborating and seeing what other people are doing. And, you know, by doing that, you know, I was like, wow. So I think it was our third time back and, and Sharon Scott and Bob Couture, they were the sort of the people that were liaisons between the law office building and, and us. And they were standing there, they're in hard hats. I'm standing there with a hard hat. There's a picture of me talk to them. And what our conversation is, they come up to me and they, they look at this thing and it's our third try and they say, you know, the thing looks so simple. It looks so easy. But they said, you know, this is really a very difficult thing to put together. And we said, that's the point. You know, that's the point of it is that in a photograph, it, it almost disappears in a way because it's just clear no iron glass, there's no tint to the glass. It just re is reflective. And it's 72 panels on a curve. And the construction of it is to get those 72 panels to go in a straight line on that curve and to fit the little pegs that are welded onto the posts. You have this panel going in one direction, this other panel coming in another direction so that the the holes that were the maximum amount of holes we could put in the tempered glass in order to hold them up narrowed because they became ovals because they were mm -hmm. at angles to each other at opposite angles from each other. And the installation of this and, and the, the finishing touches of making it so that you didn't see that, so that you are looking at a crystal. That was, that was the purity we wanted on this. And of course, we saw that because we were dealing with problem solving this thing. You know, we walked in there and if, if a rubber bumper wasn't lined up properly, wham, you know, it's like neon lights came on and arrows pointed to it. But since we've revisited it many, many times later, we don't see that because you see the overall effect of it. And, and I have to say that the people who have seen it in photographs and then have gone and visited are awestruck. Now we have a, a writer out of Chicago that's writing some stuff about it. He's writing a book about our collaboration and we're part of the book, not just us. But he's also wanting to write articles about it. And he was impressed with it in photograph. He went there and he just blew his mind being there because the scale of the sculpture and the scale of the mosaic combined within then this, this uh, flow lines in it and the size of the, the lobby, they're 20 foot ceilings, and it's glass from floor to ceiling, and the whole thing is two walls and nothing but glass. And this installation takes up the, the, the space, but not doesn't jam it in, but when you're there in person, the feeling of the size of that sculpture just is mm -hmm. overwhelming. You don't believe it's that big. But in photographs, it sort of loses that relationship. Mm -hmm. So, so they were very appreciative, and the, and, and the writer said something really great to us. Mm -hmm. He said he was sitting in the bench, and he says something he always does to, to big projects, and he sits there and he, he says, what would I do differently? And he looked at everything and said, could I do that differently? And he said, no. He went right down the list. He said, I wouldn't do this any differently. So, you know, this is an experienced art writer who's reviewed many, 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 you know, 
a long time. You know, he spent his life doing this too. So that kind of a compliment coming from the sense of the detail, the complexity, and how it got pulled off to where you don't notice you don't notice how difficult it was to put up that mosaic or how difficult it was to make that mosaic. You just see the thing and it goes wham. I mean, we had to calibrate that mosaic to fit the wall. And we had to do a one inch equals one foot master painting for, for the mosaicist to work off of. We flew to Germany three different times, visited the studios four different times. We had to go away for a week and come back while we were over in Europe. But uh, that, that kind of involvement that goes in there, Midway through, we had we had just completed the the one inch equals one foot master painting for it. We get a, a info from from the architects: the walls are nine feet longer, and they have to be done in five foot sections because they have to fit a panel in five different places. So that didn't mean we could just add nine feet onto the painting because they were already painted as individual components. So we realized that the painting separates itself. We were always looking at it as one big 73 foot long image. And we realized that you're going to see one panel at a time in some cases. So that panel had to stand up as its own painting as well as its own image. So when they said it's going to be nine feet longer or seven feet longer or whatever it was, uh, we had to completely redo the painting. So that kind of thing goes in and then then of course dealing with the mosaic itself is 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 an intricate kind of thing nine different mosaicists worked on that well it's such an interesting complexity of what it means to be an artist mm -hmm. there's the conceptualizing of it and then there's executing your painting mm -hmm. and then there's engaging what's basically mm -hmm. a construction crew mm -hmm. in a sense and uh other artisans and managing all of that. So you become, I think, a project manager also. Oh, yeah. Carol held a clipbook and her, her computer and sat in the supervising engineer's work trailer and was in contact with the other six supervising engineers and was coordinating things with them because it had to do with the delivery of this and that. We had stuff coming. So it all had to, to fit in. And Carol was able to work with those people in... in uh... Well, part of the joy of the sculpture was, and the mosaic, the whole project, was working in the, in the building being built. So the people who were building the building would walk by what we were doing, and they would take photographs of it. And some of the guy, you know, it's a lot of guys in hard hats, not very many women. And they're, you know, what is this? And, and so we would talk to them and we would explain what's going on and ask them what they thought. And that was a really interesting thing because we found that, one, they thought we wouldn't talk to them, you know, because we're the artist and, and we're not really, you know, we're in a different type of dress and we're in hard engineers hat. clothes right, right. <laughs> and then they would really become engaged with what we were doing because they could then have a story and and their view was legitimized mm -hmm. so i mean that was a really um wonderful thing and then because of that 
when we needed things, because we would need things a lot, they would get them for us. Um, and one thing you realize when you do a project is you have, you end up having, you know, little crises all the time that have to be solved. The floor's not even, this isn't right. You need a tool you don't have. You need a big machine to move something. The electricity goes out. Right. The electricity. Which was quite often. <laughs> yeah. So um, having that relationship with the people that were working there um, was really important. And then they felt part of the, proj the project, which was in some way made them feel special because they knew that it was, in it a sense, many pictures with more 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 sexy than putting up sheetrock. Although without putting up sheetrock, you wouldn't have the building. You have to picture this whole installation project. This art that, that's in those pictures was put up while that building was being assembled. So when we first went there to put up the mosaic with the people we brought in from Germany, the mosaicists who made it, to put it up, the windows weren't in. Mm -mm. It was nine degrees out. They had big plastic that flat so 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 um that you know and then as carol mentioned the elevators were in the lobby i mean seven elevators in parts in the lobby so it, it was a construction site and this art went up in a construction site it wasn't like putting it up in a museum or a gallery but you know one of the things robert said earlier about um the comments of the mcguire woods people was that it appears so simple but it wasn't. And again, the literary reference, one of the things that's often written about um, Truma Capote is that people would say his prose, his novels seem so simple, but the labor he put in, the hour, days, years, decades to write those books, to make them so simple to read, it's very, it reminds me, I always think of that when we're doing a project because people think, well, what's so great about this? I mean, I could write like this. Well, I don't think so. Um, there's an illusion that these things are simple, but we don't see that work that goes into them. So one of the things that did strike me as you were describing in detail, working in that construction site and putting it together is, is it really is collaborative. It's, we've, started the conversation talking about mm -hmm. the collaboration with the both of you, but you're obviously master collaborators mm -hmm. with all sorts of people around you. Um, because It you, takes a village. You, you know, <laughs> this is really like making something out of nothing. Well, right? we couldn't have built it without Tally. And, oh, yeah. And, and Tally was one of the workers who sort of elevated himself in the project because he was always there. He was always somebody who did things, and, the, and management noticed him, and he became more and more... To where he was sort of like, the, uh, you know, I wouldn't say he was a form, but like a major domo for the, I mean, he was there on the weekends. He was. Uh, and Without him, we would no, never would no, have done that. No, I mean, and he just would go and do stuff. I mean, if, if uh, the mosaicist, who didn't speak all that much English. And, he adopted and, the and, and, and two Tally, Germans. Tally is, is from Puerto Rico, so I imagine their language was going this way. But he got everything for him mm -hmm. and everything happened beautifully, you know, and. Yeah, without him and a few other people. And Tally, I think were, the thing about Tally was he appreciated the work ethic of the two German mm -hmm. mosaic installers. I mean, they were 
They were there um, before seven in the morning, even when there was a blizzard out in their little rental car. We'd like, how do you drive that in the snow? But they, they didn't want to spend money. And they would leave at around six. They'd take about a half hour break for lunch. Wouldn't go to lunch with us. <laughs> no, they just, and they, and the craftsmanship was impeccable. And I think Tolly just really understood um, that he was working with really talented craftspeople and that they were in a, in a situation that they needed help. So when did this actually get completed? Two Junes ago. 2015. June 2015. <laughs> what I want to sort of explore with you is, so everything went up. You mentioned that the company that created the tiles for the mural is going to use that in the catalog. Mm. I've seen pictures of people sitting inside the sculpture um, on the benches mm. because you put benches in there so people could experience it in many different ways. Um, have you gotten any feedback? Do you have any sense of how it's influencing people's lives? Well, two people from St. Petersburg have just been there. And um, so the guy, Scott, who's the security guard, head security guard, he's our docent. And then David, who's in charge of the maintenance of the whole building, he has photographs of everything up in his office. So when Richard and Reed went there, like they get this whole tour and explanation and see all these documents and photographs and um, they just can't get over how wonderful they, this work is and that they can work in that building. And we are so grateful because they really take care of it. And when people come in, they explain to them what's going on. McGuire Woods, I know, their people really appreciate it. And, um, you know, it, it makes their building really special. Um, we created the sculpture so that people who worked in the building or were coming there had a quiet place to be. Because we realized the stress that people have in working every day, especially in a law firm or you're going to a law firm, you're a client. And we thought, well, It'd be really nice to create a quiet place, um, give people a chance to take a break, be able to see the river, and um, be in this, I mean, quite, you know, amazing structure that has all of this light and reflection, and maybe just find a little peace and joy in our lives that, you know, at this part of the 21st century are quite stressful. We've mentioned uh, the uh, building as being a, a mostly a, a law office, and it sounds like that could be a kind of a foreboding place to go. But the the parking garage is a public-private parking garage, and it's one of the only ones down there where they that it's it's a twenty-four hour parking garage, or or at least it stays open very late at night. And they have events downtown that sometimes there's no parking, so the city really wanted this building to have public parking within. So their way of getting out of the, one of the ways of getting out of the garage to go to the parks and uh, around is to come down an elevator through the lobby. Mm. See, so this is a 24-hour lobby. And uh, so it's it's both public and private. You know, you got the 
one series of elevators where you have to have all sorts of security and then the other elevators you can go up to the second floor to the to the garage or the third floor or whatever so so it it's it's a it, it's more complex in in some ways so it it is something where it it can be seen from the outside very easily uh but it's also something that that we try to make it as bob clark said what can we do to make people want to walk in there? And the flow lines were part of our answer to that. Follow the yellow brick road and it takes you in the door, through the sculpture, around the sculpture, out the door. And it, it goes from the river to, to the Capitol building. So it gives you a sense of why Gateway Trio is there. It's on a major road, 9th Street, which goes over a bridge that you would get on the freeway. And at night, it's lit up inside. Mm. So when you drive by, it's one of the greatest drive-bys. We, whenever we're there, every night before we'd go, wherever we were staying, we'd go and we'd drive by. Um, and at night, it's, it's a whole different entity than it is during the day. So how does it feel to watch it as they're building it and as it's coming together and as the muralist is putting on the tiles? It's nerve-wracking. It's very nerve-wracking in a way. <laughs> I think that um, it's not really watching it. So we have the responsibility that it's done correctly and it's done to, to our satisfaction. So we're the only ones that really know what it should really look like, and it has to pass our test. So in many ways, we make a point of being there during the installation, which is sort of unusual. Usually people just let the fabrication go. And in that situation, because the art was going up while the building was being built, um, there was a lot of interference that we had to run with the um, construction people, um, making sure there was heat, making sure there was the right equipment, making sure the elevator that was in the middle of the unbuilt lobby <laughs> was out of the way and that the workers weren't interfering with the mosaic people who needed special space and temperatures. been listening to a conversation with Carol Mickett and Robert Stackhouse. You can find photos of their work and a link to Mickett Stackhouse Studios on our website, creativefinellas.org. We'll talk in another episode about their collaborative process, the work involved in large-scale public art commissions, and their passion for work in both two and three dimensions. You've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley, our wonderful production team. And you can hear more of their great work and some wonderful conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists at our website, creativepinellas.org. This is Barbara St. Clair. Thank you for listening.